Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Welcome back to our study in the book of Proverbs, and um, today we begin chapter 4. So let's read from verses uh, 1 through 9, but we'll be concentrating on the first four verses. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching, do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the side of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. All right, well, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word, for the wisdom that it reveals for its beauty, its practicality, of what it reveals not only about your will, but what it reveals about us and our need of grace, our need of Christ. Father, I pray, especially for the young people who are listening, Lord, to this video. Lord, I pray that they would grow in grace grow in knowledge of the word, that you would raise up a generation of sound believers, balanced believers, those who hold firmly to your scripture and honor your son by believing his gospel and by living according to it. Father, there's so much strife and turmoil in the world. Please, save a new generation of believers and raise them up. Raise them up, Lord, for your glory and help me now to teach. What a tremendous responsibility, Lord, help me in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Well, this this video is a little bit unusual. I would hope that if you're a young child or um, even a young teenager, that your parents um, know that you're watching these videos and that they participate with you. But especially today, because we have the first four verses, but part of it, I'm going to deal with the father's responsibility, also the mother's responsibility. And then probably in the next session, we will deal more with um, the child's responsibility with regard to these first four verses. Now, let me say something to the fathers. 
in, in the book of Proverbs, we have primarily the father's teaching, although the mothers also teach. Um, recently, uh, my wife was in a question and answer, and um, it was in a, a woman's conference. And so they asked, you know, how does she disciple her children? And, and most women set out, you know, with a lengthy answer of, of how they disciple their children. And my wife said, um, I don't. And she said that kind of to get everyone's attention. And she said, my husband disciples our children. He is primarily responsible for teaching our children. And she said, I confirm and support the teaching that he gives our children. For too long, for too long, young men and young girls have been taught in Sunday school by, by women, uh, taught in the home by women, and I applaud that. I applaud that effort. But what you need to understand is that the father has the primary role in the family of discipleship, of discipling his wife and of discipling his children. And of course, the wife uh, before the children has equal authority and should be teaching scripture and and confirming scripture. But sir, brother, you cannot relegate your responsibility to your wife. You cannot. It's not biblical. It's not fair to her and it's not fair to the children. And you say, well, my wife knows more than me that that is very possible. But there are a lot of people who know more than me. But I'm still required to do my duty, not only as a minister of Christ, but as a father. There are men that could teach my children better than I can, but they're my children and they're my responsibility. There are many ways in which my wife has more wisdom, practical wisdom than I do. But that doesn't mean that I shrug off my responsibility and give it to my wife just because in many areas she has more wisdom than, than I do. You have a responsibility. It's not societal. It's not cultural. It is divine. It is from the scriptures. Fathers are to be discipling their children. And that's what I want to look at. First of all, if we look at verse one, we see that the father is the source in the home of biblical instruction. Look, look what it says. Hero sons, the instruction of a father. Do you see that now? We don't have to get into the Hebrew or anything. The instruction of the father they are to hear. Instruction is that which produces discipline and transforms the character of the student. So, so we are to study the scriptures, not, not, not just the ministers of Christ, but fathers, husbands. We are to study the scriptures. This is our responsibility, and you can't just give it to a Sunday school teacher or a youth group leader. The church is extremely important, especially the instruction of elders. But that does not mean that as a father, you can just forget about this or neglect it. Your children are to receive from you biblical instruction that will help them grow, not only in their knowledge of God, but the discipline of their character and the discipline 
of their walk. Do you see that? And you're to do that through teaching and through example, but not only instruction. He says, hear, O sons, the instruction of a father and give attention that you may gain understanding. Men, we not only need to know the surface level of things. For example, God is great or God is holy, but we need to have understanding into what it actually means. How does it impact our life? How does it impact our walk? I've written here insight into the nature of things, especially the character and the will of God. As a father, you need to study the scriptures and you say, well, I'm not really given to that. There's no place here where it says you're not given to that and therefore it's not your responsibility with the gifts the Lord has given you. You should grow as a believer in your knowledge of God, every believer, not just the minister. And you're to grow into in your insight or understanding with regard to, for example, you tell your child God is holy. But what does that mean? God is righteous. But what does that mean? God is love. But what does it mean? And then you tell your child that that God has commands. You shall not lie. But but how is that applied in daily life? And what is the great motive behind being truthful? Is it just primarily humanistic by by being truthful? We help our brothers or does it also have to do with the way we represent God? Because God is true. And as his people, we want to be true, and especially as his authorities, we want to communicate truth and live with truth and sincerity without lie, without deception. And so how do you do this? Men, not everyone is is a gifted teacher. The Bible clearly teaches that. But all Christians should grow in the knowledge of God and all Christians that assume any place of authority, especially that of a father and husband, they are required to grow. You say, well, how do I grow? First of all, you must be in a biblical church. You must be in a biblical church under godly elders. When I mean godly elders, they qualify according to first Timothy three and Titus chapter one, and they're godly men who fear the Lord and do not entertain. And they do not draw crowds by their personality. Or by their so-called relevancy. They are men who are devoted to two things, prayer and the exposition of the word of God. That's how you grow. That's how you grow. So you are to be a source as a father of biblical instruction that leads to a disciplined circumspect life, but also biblical understanding so that your child just doesn't say things about God as a parrot would repeat something, but they actually grow in their understanding, insight and application of that thing that they are saying. So he says in verse one, uh, biblical instruction, we should be a source of that. We should be a source of biblical understanding. Then in verse two, look what it says. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. So he's going to talk about instruction the second time for emphasis, but he adds here sound teaching. 
Now, um, I've defined sound teaching here, looking at the word sound in the original language. It's, it's a teaching that is sound, wholesome. It has a sense of goodness about it. Also, it's, it's pleasant. It is beneficial. It's healthy. It produces spiritual health. It radiates out into every area of the child's life, bringing a soundness and a health to their life. And primarily, of course, I'm speaking spiritually. You see, as I'm going to tell your children later on in this study, men, we don't just study for ourselves. We study for our wives. We study for our children. And if you sit there and go, well, it's not that important to me. Well, if you're not going to study for yourself, at least study for them. Study for them. If any of us have any children that come to know Christ and live a goodly Christian life, it is only by the grace of God and there's nothing you can boast in. You can't boast in homeschooling. You can't boast in, you know, your church or your parenting skills. It is by the grace of God. And yet as Christians who now bear the title of father or husband, we have the responsibility to obey what is written with regard to our post. The role that we have taken, and it is an extremely important role. So we need to be a source of biblical instruction, of biblical understanding, of sound teaching, but also fathers. Look, we need to be a source of the revelation of God's will, primarily with regard to commandments. Look what it says in verse four. He says, then he, my father, taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Now, the commandments refer to I've, I've written down here the authoritative. OK, so it's authority. It's God's commands. And we need to be very careful as fathers and husbands that the commands we give be God's commands and not something we've fashioned for our own benefit. So the commandments are the authoritative and non-negotiable will of God. OK, there's no bartering with God when it is a command, a clear cut and dry command. There's no bartering. There's no negotiating. There's no confusion. We live in an age where I think that especially within Christianity, well, in the world today, let me say this in the world today, it's like. Um, everyone will say, basically, most people say there's a God. But has he spoken in a in a definitive manner? No, that's very convenient because you can hold to a faith in God, but you don't have to do anything he said because it's not been revealed clearly. I can see that being in the world, but what I'm afraid of is it has entered into the church. Things that used to be commands in the church are now matters of conscience and preference, and that is very, very dangerous. The commandments are not against us unless we are seeking to use the commandments to justify ourselves. And then the commandments become condemnation. But when we are justified through faith in Christ. By grace. 
When Christ is the whole of our salvation, then we can return to the commandments, knowing that we're not seeking to obey them for justification, but we're seeking to obey them just because they are a revelation of God's will, God's wisdom, and they are beneficial. They are healthy for our Christian life, for every aspect of our life. As I said, they radiate into every area of our life. Now, so God's commandments. Now, I want to summarize some things just by for just a moment. Let's hold your place and go over to Ephesians chapter six in the New Testament. Because we're going to be primarily in the Old Testament, but look in Ephesians chapter six. And verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, there are two things here set against one another. We oftentimes don't see the contrast, but it's there. So the first is provoking your children to anger. And the second is bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, here's what I've discovered. Most fathers do not invest very much in their children by way of teaching and instruction. They don't. And so the child is forced to something of uh, being enclosed or incarcerated in ignorance with regard to God and his will. Then in that ignorance, the child begins to do things that are displeasing to the father. And the father gets angry and the children get angry. What's the cure for that? Father, you shouldn't command your children to build a spaceship out of bailing wire. And my point is, if you're not going to invest in them, then don't expect much from them. Again, if you're not going to invest in your child's spirituality, their character, their faith, then don't expect much. And even if you you send your child to Sunday school and it's a good Sunday school class and a, a good Sunday school teacher and you send them to church and they're around a good youth minister or that sort of thing. You still haven't done your job. You are to invest in your child. You are to teach your child the scriptures. And if you do not, it will cause problems in your relationship with them. Let's read that again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up, nurture them, build them up, edify them, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And um, now I want us to go for just a moment to Deuteronomy chapter six, just for a moment. Let's fly back into the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven. You shall teach them diligently, speaking of the commandments, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, there are so many extracurricular activities in life, and, and, and they're not all bad. As a matter of fact, some of them can be good. You need to do all kinds of things with your children. But 
your conversation with your children, what are some of the primary topics? A lot of men don't converse with their children at all. They don't have discussions. They don't spend time. They don't fellowship with them. They, they don't talk or listen, which is just as important as talking. Or some, a father will have many interests, and if the child has the same interest, well, they'll spend a lot of time talking, talking about fishing or hunting or sports or this or school or our success in business or all these different things. And all of them have their place. Don't get me wrong. If you 24 hours a day, the only thing you talk to your child about is the scripture, then you really don't have a healthy relationship. Because because there's, there's so much into having a relationship with a child, laughter and fun, enjoyment. And as, as I said, extracurricular activities and other things. But I want you to sincerely sit down and ask yourself how much time daily, weekly, monthly do you spend with your children talking to them about the things of God, about the gospel? about the revealed will of God. Here in verse six. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently, not sporadically, not haphazardly, but diligently with your children. Now, I want to say something that is is very, very important here, because I've been telling you that you need to teach your children. But the teacher is primarily a student. If you're not a student, you can't be a teacher. And like I said before, if you're not going to study for yourself and you're a husband and you're a father, then study for them. Study for them. Study for your wife, study for your son, study for your daughter. And in one way, study for your grandchildren, because what you do as a father will have great impact down the line generationally. It really will. Now, I want us to look at three different, three different authorities that God has set up. It's not exhaustive, but I want to mention three that are very important. First, parents. Parents are an authority. The father and the mother, you're an authority over your children. Now, in Deuteronomy 6, look what it says. Verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You as a parent, the best thing you can do is grow in your love for God. That, that's the best thing you can do for your children. Husbands, that's the best thing you can do for your wife. Wife, that's the best thing you can do for your husband and your children. Is to grow in conformity to Christ and to grow in your love for God, my family, what do they need most out of me that I be more like Christ and understand more clearly the will of Christ and be able to proclaim more clearly to them the will of Christ from the scriptures. He says. Verse six. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. He's talking to the parents. Now, look, these words that I'm commanding you. It's not like here's God here. Here's your children here. You're in the middle and the thing just kind of jumps over. 
All right, has nothing to do with you. No, it goes like this from God to you, to your children. He said, teach the things I'm commanding you. Jesus said the same thing in the Great Commission. Do you realize that? Teaching them all things that I commanded you. A lot of times we we want to teach something to others that we ourselves do not practice. And that's extremely dangerous. Now he goes on. Um, These words. Yes, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. They become a part of you. I like to use the word saturation that we saturate our lives in the scriptures. Another word I like to use is cultivation, that we cultivate the mind of Christ through studying the scriptures. Look, it's, it, it can't just be you picked up some monthly Sunday school devotional and you're going to share it with your children. I mean, I suppose that's better than nothing. But but what I want you to see so desperately, so desperately is that there's many ways in which your growth in the knowledge of Christ and your growth in conformity of Christ is going to impact your children and your wife. Now, verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. He's not saying that 24 hours a day, you just talk to your children with the Bible. Talk about talk to your children with the Bible. Um, I talk to my children about many things. We love the outdoors. We love kayaking. We we love um, all sorts of things. And we talk about them. But it's like. Listen, let me put it this way. We have this really unbiblical idea of seeing everything as sacred and secular, and there's this wall between the two. So when we're reading our Bible, it's sacred. When we're kayaking, it's secular. For the Christian, that wall doesn't exist. If we're walking with God, everything is sacred. If we're praying with our children, having a Bible study with our children, it's sacred. If we're all in the kitchen helping mom make bread, it's sacred. If we're kayaking, it's sacred because we're not we've come to the point, hopefully, where we're no longer conceiving of life without God. And we're seeing everything within that relationship with him. Do you see that? It's so very important. Now, verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And you and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I know people who have Bible verses all over their house, and I I don't have a problem with that. I think that's wonderful, but that's not the specific meaning here. Like you can go to Israel today and you'll see people have a little box of scripture tied onto their hand and wrapped around their forearm with a leather lash. Or you'll have it see it strapped to their forehead. And and that's not what Jesus is saying. Now, parents, most of us talk to our children about memorizing scripture. But do we memorize scripture? Do we remember what we read? You see, it's not only by our word, but by our example. You may want to consider memorizing scripture together with your children or working through um, the catechism with your children. Okay, so 
we see that parents must, first of all, if they're going to be teachers, they need to be students. Now, I want you to look at how important this is. Look over. We're still in Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 17 for a moment. Chapter 17, verse 18. Now, this is talking about the future king when Israel has a king. Now it shall come a pass, come to pass, chapter 17, verse 18. Now it shall come, come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Now, let's just look at this for a moment. We're talking about an authority. And there is a general application, not just to the king of Israel, but to all authority. So let's look at it. Verse 18. Let's say now it shall come a pass, come to pass when a father has children in his home. He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll. Praise God, you don't have to do that. You can just pick up your Bible. 19. It shall be with that father and that father shall read it all the days of his life. This is you. This is me. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. One of the greatest petitions we have here at Heart Cry, our most frequent, is Lord, increase our fear of thee, our reverence for thee. And how do you fear God? It's not just some attitude of the heart. He says, by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. Now, why do we want to study the scriptures to grow in our reverence of God? Verse 20, again, putting this in the context of a father and his family, that the father's heart may not be lifted up among the others in his family, his wife and his children. It is so easy when you have authority to rule like a tyrant and call others to submit to your word while you yourself are not submitting to the word of God. That is a very very dangerous place to be. That he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left. You want to be an authority? Know this, that if you turn aside to the right or the left, it is very likely your children, your wife will turn aside with you. So you're not only shipwrecking yourself, but you're shipwrecking your family so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. That's, of course, applying to a king. But the whole idea of longevity here is a way of speaking about spiritual blessing, about spiritual prosperity, about a healthy life in the fear of God. So that's a king. Now, let's look at one more in the in the New Testament. Let's go to Ezra just quickly to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, let's just he, of course, was a minister, a scribe. Now let's put us in there. Would someone describe you this way? Let's say your name is Tom. OK. For Tom, as a father, set his heart to study the law of the Lord. And as a father, he set his heart to practice it. And as a father, he set his heart to teach its statutes and ordinances to his family. Is that you? It should be you. And it can be you. Now, um, I want to look at one last thing. If you look in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, and um, I wasn't, um, my mother was a Christian, my father wasn't a Christian, I wasn't raised in what you could call a Christian home, except for the influence of my mother. And uh, when I got married, when I had children, I wanted to break the cycle of disobedience and I wanted to create a legacy. Now, again, let me say something. There's so much said today about, you know, breaking the cycle of disobedience, about creating a generational legacy. Let, let me share with you something. We can't even save ourselves. So let's put that in perspective first. If you're a father like myself and you are a Christian, it is by the grace of God. If you do not fall, it is by the grace of God. If your children become Christians, it is by the grace of God. If they remain faithful, it is by the grace of God. Everything is the grace of God. And if you ever stick out your chest and say it's because of my homeschooling. You have put yourself and your children in a very dangerous place. Now, we are called to be obedient and part of that obedience, if we're Christian men, is to teach our children. That's true. But don't ever boast if the results are good. If your children are walking with God, know that it is the grace of God and nothing added to it, especially from you. All right. Now that we've settled that, let's talk about many of us were not raised in Christian homes and and I can look back and see where my ignorance, it didn't cause my sin. It maybe it made it more extravagant, more fueled. There, there wasn't the fear of God that maybe would have been if I had been raised in the scriptures. But in Judges 2.10, it's a warning to all of us. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. And we know the story of Judges, don't we? It, it, it represents a, a horrific, immoral, corrupt time in the history of Israel. And right at the outset, we're told why. Because it seems that the men of the previous generation did not hand down the teachings of Scripture, did not hand down the example of godly men to the next generation and the next generation committed sins that sometimes not only rivaled the pagans, but surpassed them. So we want to break that cycle.
And I hope you want to break that cycle. Now, I want to finish by saying this to the men. Um, I have not attained to much. But if there are things in me that are growing in conformity to Christ, part of that is because of my friends. Part of that is because of the elders that are over me. That that teach and preach the scriptures that remind me of what it means to be pious, to be a Christian, to be obedient. Men who are not frivolous are providing entertainment, but men who walk in the fear of God and just want to give the people of the word of God without them, uh, my family would be less. And then there are friends of mine. I always try to be around people that when I'm around them, I want to be a better man. You see, for men, you especially need to understand this. Christianity is not a lone wolf religion. We need others. But but listen, we need real men around us. Not not boys who play video games when they're 35, not men who are caught up in all their little uh, hobbies, not men who spend more time with their other friends than they do their wife and their children. That's not what we need. Find godly men and get close to them. Men who, when you walk away from them, you say to yourself, I want to be a better man. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. Okay, that's what you need. So it's it's the fellowship that I have with godly men. It is the. The preaching and the example and the authority of the elders here in our church. And and then it's also a bunch of dead guys. I find that a lot of things that are written, not all, but a lot of things that are written today are just. So superficial, so pragmatic, so so weak with regard to the scripture. And but I find reading some of the older men. About family, about Christian duty in the home, um, that they provide food for my soul and maybe one day we'll uh, uh, get together and uh, and put some some books or something together to show you uh, what could be helpful. But men, listen, take this serious. I know I've, I've talked pretty direct, but I need this. I need to hear this. You need to hear this. If you are a married man with children, your primary responsibility is your wife. And following that, your children. And even elders, if we do not manage our own household well, we cannot be elders. We don't qualify. And so take this with a great deal of solemnity and a great deal of the fear of the Lord. Well, until we meet again, again, this was primarily addressed to fathers. Okay, but at the same time, some of you young men who are still under your fathers, you need to realize you need to grow up, become a man who can take care of a woman and children. Well, until next time, God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society.